Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. So today we're going to be talking about looking to God through a tragedy, looking to God through a tragedy. And like everyone here knows, this past week was a horrific event. Um, we had, there was a mass shooting at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, and 19 children, two adults were killed. And like many people, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Um, it's the last thing I think about when I go to sleep. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up. And I feel more and more disturbed each day. I, I feel more and more disturbed as I think about it, as, uh, as new information comes to light. And doesn't it just feel like that things should not be normal? That, that the world should just stop? It, it feels like just really weird that we're, we just continue on with our lives, doesn't it? And we, we continue, we drive to where we need to go. We, it, when I'm just seeing other cars, I'm just like, they're just like, everyone's just going on with life, going to the grocery store. I mean, even just seeing like commercials and advertisements, it's, it's weird that the most that, that we get is just like a side news article. But even with that, it's like even the news, they just continue on with other stories. It's like just everything moves on. And it feels like the world should just stop for a moment. And I know that so many of you felt bothered and still feel just as bothered by it. And it's been hard for you to c- continue to keep hearing about it. Even for me and Lauren, we had to make an agreement to where after we put the kids to sleep at the end of the day, that we stopped talking about it. We, we have to have a cutoff time because it's just so emo- emotionally and mentally straining to continue it all throughout the night. But just, it's like we'll talk about it and stop and then just something, you know, you just think about it again or you see something about it again. So we made it a rule to where we don't talk about it now at the end of the night. And even then, it's, it's hard to get it out of your mind. But I really felt led to talk about understanding God people, and even the world in reference to tragedy for today's message. And I even had, even though I had a completely different message, I know that this is what God wanted me to share. And in this talk today, I'm going to be referencing the incident in Uvalde, but I'm also, I'm really going to be expounding on ideas and lessons through scripture into a broader perspective and application to more of a general idea of tragedy. And in today's lesson, I want to make it abundantly clear that I have no, inti- uh, I have no intention to perpetuate an, a political I- ideology. I have no intention to perpetuate a political ideology. And honestly, I don't even have the intention to try to make anyone feel better about this tragedy, this incident. I really just want to point to God and I want for each of us to grow closer to God. So in, in today's message, let's go ahead and get started. The first thing that I want us to talk about when it comes to looking to God through a tragedy is sometimes there is no explanation. 
sometimes there is no explanation. See, we, we want to make sense of things. We, it, when it's especially a tragedy, we want to be able to make a timeline or even look for something that may have caused this to happen. That, that surely something had to have caused for this kind of reaction. And we want to be able to understand it so that we can fix it and thus prevent it from happening again. We just we go into this cause and effect mode. And an example of this kind of ideology is something that we've all known um, throughout our lives, and that is the saying, hurt people hurt people, right? And the reason that we really like that saying is because it gives a type of cause and effect understanding when there's inflicted pain or suffering. It makes us think that there's something to fix. It makes us feel like there's there's a reason to it. And even in this recent shooting, one of the first things that people did was look at the killer's home life to see why he would have done what he did. You know what I'm talking about? This is the very first thing. And the painful reality is the world is broken and bent on evil. It's a really painful reality. Not everything is because of cause and effect. Our world is broken and bent on evil. And it is simply that things are evil. It doesn't matter if this guy had a father growing up or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they were bullied or not. Millions of people grow up without fathers. Millions of people are bullied every day and have been bullied for decades. And while we can try to surmise that those are components that affect someone's mental state, whatever, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What was done doesn't justify what he did. See, that, that's what it starts going into is we're trying to make sense. And in, in so doing, we try to justify what he did. But it doesn't. The root of the intention is based in evil, not in circumstance. We must understand that. The root of an evil atten- intention was based in evil, not in circumstances. Let's broaden the perspective. We get so narrow-minded in America, and we think that everyone behaves like Americans. And let's look at Africa. There's so many people in Africa that witness their family slaughtered by machetes in front of them. And then they become refugees and come over to the States. And if you've ever met someone like that, they seem like the nicest people in the world. Immigrants from other places are some of the nicest people you've ever met. And if you've ever talked to them, some, if they share some of their story, you're like, oh my gosh. You, you witness these horrific things. How are you just okay? And they seem to have like this overly simplistic idea on life. They're like, well, I'm just glad that I'm alive and, and that I'm, I'm able to be here now. It's like, what? <laughs> we, we get so narrow-minded in thinking that so many things in circumstance cause evil. And we neglect the fact that evil is just evil. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And what he did was just evil. And 
we must understand that evil did not start nor end with him. Evil has been around for centuries. In fact, it's been around from the beginning of time. From Genesis, when the very first brother that ever existed in the world killed his brother Abel, it was not because of circumstance. It was not be, there was no proper explanation to it. There's no justification to it. It was just evil. There's nothing that beckoned the murder. It was just evil. And if we understand that our world is broken, the minute that sin entered the world, our world became broken and bent on evil. We are able to see unexplainable chaos. We're able to see unexplainable chaos through a simpler lens. It is a hard lens, but it is a simpler lens. And I want us to look how Jesus describes certain tragedies that happened in his time and region. It says in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now on that very occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Went through this, this town, this region, and just slaughtered everybody. So it's, this isn't the first time there's a massacre. Massacres have happened from the beginning of time. It's always been happening. And so this happened in their region. And Jesus responded and said to them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans just because they have suffered this fate? No. And I tell you the truth, but unless you repent, you will also all likewise perish. Talking about eternity. And do you think that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed and killed them were worse offenders than all those other people who live in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. And so he gives these two examples of an intentional, intentional genocide and, and then this freak accident and, and gives this, this affirming idea to, to these tragedies being senseless. He gives us this affirming tone that there is no reason that these things happen. And the, the impression that he gives also gives this impression that God did not ordain these tragedies to happen. It was not part of his plan. It was not part of his will that they simply happen. And if we can understand that, that things like this simply happen because of the world that we live in, it, it mean, this means that you shouldn't try to make something senseless make sense. We don't have to try to make something senseless make sense. And it, when we do that, we create false perceptions of people, false perceptions of God, false, false perceptions of the world that we live in, and we end up feeling confused and end up having more questions than answers. And... When evil happens, it's because the world is bent on evil. Simple as that. And if we can understand that and, re and really just accept this reality, it, it, would, it, makes, it makes me want us to look at the next point, which is our reactions to tragedies like these and how we hide from the grieving process. We hide from the grieving process. Like I said earlier, people's initial reaction to a tragedy is typically trying to fix something. 
Why is it that we go there? Why is it that we initially become experts in something that we have no experience in and share all of our thoughts and opinions about how it can be fixed? We give our oversimplified ideas and opinions of how to fix something that's obviously much more complicated than anyone can comprehend. And this, what it really is, what we really are trying to do when we're trying to fix things is it's an attempt to feel better in a moment of grief. It's an attempt to feel better in the moment of grief. Grief hurts. Grief is painful. And we, we want to attempt to feel better, so we, we suppress it because it's easier to suppress it if we focus on doing something that gives our mind a sense of closure. See, if we, if we think we fix the problem, then it gives us this false sense of closure. And so we think we can skip the grieving process. The things are better now. And what's, what's better to, under, to better understand this point, I want us to take a look at the story of Job. To better understand this point, I want us to take a look at the story of Job. Job's story is one of complete tragedy. It's complete tragedy and chaos because his life seems, is seemingly perfect. And then suddenly... Everything that he owns is, is, is gone and taken away. All of his children die in an instant. And this all happens. He lost everything and all of his children in a single moment, in one day. And then when you think that things couldn't get any worse, his health fails. And he then lives in this constant pain, physically and emotionally, hopeless, as he battles what he's going through against his faith. Battling all of the, the, the sayings that people would say, good, uh, good things happen to those who trust God. Simple sayings like that. And he's wondering, well, what, what the hell? Why am I going through this? And he's, he is not making sense of all the senseless. And as he is battling these thoughts and these questions and his faith, at some point, his closest friends show up to console him and grieve with him. And it says initially they showed up and for, for seven days straight, they just sat there and wept with him. But instead, they end up trying to fix the situation. The whole story of Job, over 40 chapters, is an argument between Job and his friends in trying to make sense out of chaos. His friends the entire time are trying to fix his situation. They're trying to fix what he went through. And they're trying to tell him, well, this had to have happened because this had to have happened because there must be some sort of sin in your life that you didn't realize. They have all these accusations, all these... Uh, these summations of what must have caused all of this pain in Job's life. By the end of the story, God has to intervene and put all of his friends in check. And we know at the beginning of the story that it wasn't God that sent the pain, but it was the devil. Because the devil is evil. The world we live in is evil. 
And so just here's a little back and forth between them. As they're going back and forth, as they're trying to tell Job about what caused this, this is at some point in Job chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, it says, Then Job responded, Truly, then you are the people, and with wisdom will die. He's saying, once you guys die, wisdom will die with you because you're just so smart. You guys got it all figured out. But I have no intelligence as well as you. I have intelligence just as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I'm a joke to my friends, the one who got called on God and he answered him. The just and blameless man is a joke. And so what he's just, this is, he's just at this point mad and irritated with them, right? This is the, the divisive point in their friendship because as they're trying to make sense of it, he's saying, do you think I'm an idiot? Is that why you're trying to explain to me these simple understandings that I also uh, know and understand? I can comprehend. But guess what? They don't fit. They don't fit into this chaos. They don't fit into this tragedy. And so just as we're looking at Job's story, instead of grieving together in unity. See, that's what is really key about grief. When we allow ourselves to grieve it produces unity, doesn't it? If you've ever been going through a tragedy and you had someone that loved you just sit with you in the middle of that tragedy, it, it's just you felt so close and united to that person. They didn't try to fix anything. When you, when you would share your heart and how broken you were, they would just say things like, I know. I know it hurts. That's it. It's in those moments that you could really lean on someone and be with someone as you go through your grief. But you know what are the most painful moments? When you have the death of a loved one and you have someone come and try to fix the problem. Well, they're in a better place now. It's like, that's besides the point. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Really? Does it? See, in... Instead of us being able to grieve together in unity, just like Job's friends, we started fighting divisively. Job's friends lost sight of the tragedy itself and focused more on their opinions and their pride of being right. The pride of being right. What has bothered me the most about the recent shooting, other than the shooting itself, is how it immediately turned into another political debate. Immediately. It turned into another political debate. It, it makes me sick. It makes me absolutely sick. And could we not give even a moment of silence? Could we not just wait a couple days, a week, to just allow this this all solidarity of the situation to just be silent but instead we we attacked one another over our opinions we attack one another over our opinions because we're trying to escape grief we try to fix it and i want to i want to say don't think for a second that people are not doing that when they're sharing their opinions. If your opinion 
was the same on a topic before the tragedy. Think about this for a moment. If a person's opinion was the same before the tragedy, but now they're perpetuating the same opinion while referencing the tragedy, they are using the tragedy. Let's be really clear on that. We're using the tragedy to prove a point. And I'm talking about both sides. Using a tragedy to prove a point, which means that the opinions themselves truly have nothing to do with the tragedy. Because they were same before and after the tragedy. And people, and especially politicians, are using suffering and fear as a tool and attempt to convince people. And it's wrong. Again, I'm trying really hard to not give any political idea. I, I've Honestly, if I could be frank, I feel like the older I get, the more that I learn, the more that I lean towards anarchy <laughs> than any side of the, the American political spectrum. It is insane to see what politicians are willing to do, what they're willing to use in order to perpetuate control of vote. And I want us to understand that any idea that we have of politicians really caring about something, we should throw out of our heads. Either side. History shows us that every single government created eventually oppressed and hurt their people. It, even countries and governments that have started out well, it's our world bent on evil. Every government has eventually turned into a revolution or a put-down rebellion. And so we should not look towards the government for really anything beneficial. Like, yes, I get the idea that it's like we need certain structures and et cetera, but truly, out of this, this is a moment that we need God more than anything else. Especially if we're angry at God. Especially if people are hurting. We need God to come in. And I, I say all that to say, don't try to fix something in replacement of grieving. Whether it's just done by ourselves as ordinary people or whether it's perpetuated by a politician, we cannot try to fix something in replacement of grieving. Do certain things eventually need to be done? Yes, probably. Okay, but we must understand that timing is important. Grieving is important. And just like Job, people need to simply feel this grief and allow it to be grief. We should, we should not take, try to skip it by arguing on Facebook or, or any social media. Grief is a major component needed to be experienced before any kind of healing can ever take place within the soul. It's, it's, psych, it's a psychological truth. It, it's, a, it's a spiritual truth. And what is so 
interesting about this idea of how of really how we try to skip grief there's so much talk nowadays about people needing to learn how to process trauma people pay hundreds and thousands of dollars to counselors and psychiatrists to tell them to process trauma and there's often times because of social media where people create false traumas in their life because they think that they need to process trauma in order to feel better when truly they're just unfulfilled and unsatisfied in their life. And so we think, well, this must have been tra traumatic, my childhood. And we get so focused on processing trauma. And then when a traumatic situation actually happens, we try to skip grief altogether and act like, well, we're okay. We just really need to do this. This will fix the problem. All because people are afraid to experience grief. Grief is essential. And so I urge you, don't feel condemned in this. Have you been, have you been sharing your thoughts or opinions on the matter? Don't think that your opinions aren't valid. We're doing what all of us are used to doing. That's trying to skip grief, fix the problem. It doesn't mean that we should feel condemned or guilty or anything like that. Don't get in your head about something else. Just really understand. Simply allow yourself to go back to grief and simply feel the grief and sadness of a tragedy. Whether it's this or something in the future or something that maybe you skipped a long time ago. You know how many people skip the deaths of their, of their family members, of their grandparents, of their own parents? Because they got fixated on trying to fix something. There's so many people that have skipped the grief of important things because they're scared to face it. And I'm telling you, it's, it's so meaningful and important to face grief as hard as it is. And so no matter what tragedy it, tragedy it is, only then will you be able to start healing when you allow yourself to feel grief. Now, the last thing that I want to talk about today is God's heart in the midst of tragedy. God's heart in the midst of tragedy. I want to start off by sharing this scripture. It says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 through 15, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I want us to focus on this first sentence. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. One of the most popular sayings is everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And even in great tragedies, that ideology has been commonly said. Everything happens for a reason. It has left so many people feeling confused and angry towards God and thinking that tragedy and even death was significant for some reason, for, for good. Because this ideology perpetuates the idea that God is somehow a partner with death. That's what that would mean, right? That God is a partner with death. But this scripture shows an incredibly clear image of God's plan to destroy death. His plan is to destroy death in the lake of fire. Get the grim reaper in your head as an imagery and know that God wants to destroy it. God wants to destroy him. 
And if he was truly a partner of death, he would not destroy it. But because he hates death, his ultimate plan, ever since death entered into the world and broke the world, his plan was to rip it out and destroy it in the lake of fire. See, we must understand that God is not a partner with death. And we must understand God's hatred of death and also take into account that death was never something that he even intended for mankind. He never intended death for mankind. That it only was birthed into the world because of sin and evil from the Garden of Eden. I want to make it clear that not everything happens for a reason. That being said, a lot of us think about pains in our life, and there's, there's two things. One, I think so, I went through that for nothing. And, and I want us to understand that a lot of pains, a lot of tragedies, a lot of traumas that people experience were not part of God's plan. Because they would invoke God to enact on sin. For example, this is a, a lot duller example than intense tragedy, but let's take my, my, my dad's first marriage ended in divorce. God talks about how he, he doesn't like divorce. He wants people to stay married, right? Well, I'm so grateful. <laughs> I'm so blessed that my dad's first marriage ended in divorce. I'm so grateful for, for even possible adultery, <laughs> Because if it was not for the end of that first marriage, if it was not for my dad meeting my mom, I would have never been born. So does that mean that God's plan was for something sinful to happen? No, that was the sinful wickedness of this world. What God does promise is that he will turn every weapon formed against us, that he'll use even bad for good, that he'll trade our, our ashes into something beautiful. And so he was able to take an ugly situation and turn it into something beautiful by being, bringing me here. <laughs> See, that's a simple example of how God will use unjust and senseless pain into something purposeful. Did not plan for it. Did not want it. But he will use it and redeem it. And see, if we can understand that, then we can move on to understand that it is then that we better understand Jesus when he says that he is the life. He, that, the life, he calls himself, he is the life. That is the very opposite of death. Adam brought in death, Jesus brought life. The very essence of Jesus defeats death. It's part of the reason of him dying on the cross was to face death itself. And because Jesus cannot deny who he is, he is faithful even when we're faithless. He is life even when we have death. And that is why through any tragedy, we should cling to him. Because we should lift him up and we should glorify him because even in death, Jesus brings resurrection in some way. Even in darkness, Jesus brings the light. Even in ugliness, Jesus is able to bring something beautiful. I don't know how he does it. I, know, I don't know how the method could possibly be. I am not that creative. 
but the creator of all the world is able to do it. And so we can call on him and he will even grieve with us. God does not skip the grieving process. He does not skip grief. Every time that there, it says even in, I believe Isaiah, when it talks about prophetically of Herod committing genocide and killing hundreds of children when he thought that the, a, a new king was born in Bethlehem. He, genocide, killing mass amounts of children under the age of two. It's, it gives us imagery of how Rebecca's heart, her tears flowed a river of tears for her children. Her heart was broken. And it was imagery of God's heart, of how much his heart was broken in tragedy. He does not skip grief. When we go through grief, he sits with us. He endures the grief with us. And his heart hurts as ours hurt. He is loving, compassionate, and humble at heart. And he is exactly what we need when going through any kind of tragedy. He's exactly what we need. And so I want everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. If you're here today, and I just want to make it really simple, with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here today and you need to cling to Jesus for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. If you're here today and you've never really had a moment where you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, maybe you've gone through the motions of religion and practices, but you've never had a moment where you had a real conversation with Jesus and made a decision, and you want to do that today, with every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hand. So just there where you're at, I want you to have a conversation with Jesus. Don't put it off any longer. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You simply start talking to God yourself. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God who died on the cross for the world's sins and rose from the dead, then surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you simply have an authentic conversation yourself with Jesus Christ, that that's all it takes to start a relationship with him, a journey with him. And a journey with him is the first step of what repentance is. Repentance literally means to change direction. It's not this, this scary word. It really just means to change direction. When you start a journey with Jesus, that's the first step. Have that conversation with him right now. Now, if you're here and tragedy has been burdening your heart, whether it's a school shooting or whether you're still stuck on something else in your life, and you are recognizing God speaking to you right now about it. You're recognizing the need for grief. You're recognizing that God is still good. And you're recognizing just the reality of this world. And this was just what you needed today. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands.
Now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would rest on each person here. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would bring comfort in the midst of grief. And that you would help us all to process and to pray. That we would not neglect prayer and part of this process by trying to look at ways things could be fixed. Prayer is the easiest thing for us to do, but we often neglect it because we want to do something ourselves. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you come into this room, that you come to each of our lives and help us to grieve and help us to process, help us to heal. And we pray, Holy Spirit, for your presence to be in Uvalde right now, especially over every family that lost a loved one, We pray for every person that was on site feeling confused and scared, not knowing what to do. We pray for your Holy Spirit's presence. We ask that you move through all of this, that you show yourself in some way. And God, we pray that you protect your people, that you bring our nation back to you, our cities back to you that we would have revival in our lands as we heal and we call on your name we thank you Jesus amen I hope you enjoyed the message today if you did there's a couple things that you could do to connect first is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed ready when you are And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.